0: Well, as you're uh, sitting down, why don't you turn with me to your Bibles, to the book of Romans. It's uh, Romans 14, and uh, this week we're going to be looking uh, once again at verses 1 to 4. If you remember, last week, for those... How many of you were here last week? Last week we were saved by the bell, right? just as we are getting into the issues that divide us or that might tend to divide us as a church, like the church was being divided back in Paul's day, uh, the church at Rome, along with a number of others. Every church has discussions, divisions, disagreements, just like every marriage does, every relationship does. And the church is a family, the church is a person, the bride of Christ, and so... The same thing goes on there. And uh, I may be a coward. I probably am. But once again this week, I thought we'd start at a safe distance, okay? We're going to go back to my former church. And uh, an email I got from a member there. We had been doing what's called the processional communion uh, for a while. Where, uh, and we've been doing it once every two or three months where everyone comes forward, you know, takes the elements and then circles back to their seats. And not everyone liked that. Um, the email went went this way. Pastor Myers, you've been making the congregation feel obligated to come forward much too often. And we're tired of it. (laughs) Some people have a need to show themselves off, looking so holy, parading forward in front of their peers. And it kind of goes downhill from there. I won't say more. But compare that... I don't don't want to give you any ideas. No, just kidding. Compare that to this. This is another email that came, I I believe, about the same time on the same issue. The first one was anonymous, which always says a lot. Some pastors will never read anonymous mail. Because then you can just let it all out and get it off your chest. And uh, then you leave it with him. If you sign your name, it'll probably be more true and more balanced. So this one was signed, and uh, it says, "Pastor Brian." By the way, I like Pastor Brian better than Pastor Myers. Okay, I always wonder what's coming next when it gets formal, Pastor. You know, like the other one, Pastor Myers. In fact, if you want to talk to me this week about anything I said, I prefer Brian. Okay, then we can just be friends, <laughs> Pastor Brian. I was wondering if you have any plans in the near future of going back to the more traditional way of holding communion. My wife and I would really prefer the procedure of staying in our seats. We both find it easier to concentrate on the meaning of this part of the service when we're able to quietly sit and meditate. We also find ourselves less distracted by the, by the line of people. But maybe it's also just how we were raised." That kind of memo, that kind of note is music to a pastor's ears. And none of what I'm going to say today says we don't want to get feedback from you. Very honest feedback about what uh, you're feeling. But we're going to talk about how 90% of it is sharing it in the right way. 90% of what divides marriages, families, friends, churches. It's not the discussion uh, the, the division, it's the discussion, the way of discussing it that causes division. Things can get so ugly in the church so quickly. Some of you have probably seen this over the years. Not necessarily, again, because of our differences, as we're going to see today. Not necessarily that nearly as much as because of the attitudes we bring to our disagreements. The anger, the flesh, all the rest. Things can get so ugly between, you know, husbands and wives and parents and children and between brothers and sisters and friends. Not nearly as much because of the issue itself, but because of The way we disagree. You may have seen the cartoon of the church committee meeting. It might have been an elder meeting, I'm not sure. But the chairman of the committee is saying this uh, With our current hard feelings, would anyone object to my praying with my eyes open? (laughs) Anyone ever been there in some committee meeting? I have. By the way, God does hear us with our eyes open. That's another topic, but let me just share with you a story. My father came close to losing his life as a missionary um, because his African driver, who was driving them through the bush, thought that he had to have his eyes closed when he prayed. He was a new believer, and they all prayed. He closed his eyes, and they went off the road into the bush and almost got speared by a rhinoceros who happened to be there right then, too. And so um, that's another story. But my dad immediately started discipling this guy. And the first thing he taught him was that you can close your eyes when you pray. Or you can keep them open. (laughs) Either way. But God hears us either way. But when our hearts are closed, he doesn't hear us nearly as well. When our hearts are closed toward the brethren, toward one another in the church, when our hearts shut down, He doesn't hear us nearly like he hears us when we're united in spirit. It's fundamental to everything, climaxing in our worship. It may sound unbelievably good. You may have an orchestra up here. People with top-notch voices. It may feel really good. But if we're divided in spirit, if there's not love, to him, it's a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And he can tell the difference. It's not just in committee meetings that differences arise and walls go up and hearts shut down. It's around dinner tables at home. It's, you know, between cubicles at work. It's with friends at school. And even (laughs) often it's on opposite sides of the bed, you know, between husband and wife. That Our differences cause us to divide. And what do you do when that happens? Well, the first thing is that we need to realize just how important it is to God that we come together, that we just get along. And that when we're divided, we do it in the right way that maintains our love, because that's what matters to him. How important it is. And we know that from this passage because it's the first thing that comes to Paul's mind when, uh, after he summed up Romans 12 and 13, all of those qualities of true Christianity. He said at the end of Romans 13, the, this, all of this is fulfilled. The whole law is fulfilled in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, love one another. It's huge. It's everything to God. Single word, love. And then when he moves on to chapters 14 and 15, as we just got into last week, to talk about love, he brings up the one thing that more than anything else will sabotage our love. He starts with the chief obstacles to loving one another, and that is divisions that come from not interacting over those divisions in the right way, differences. Uh, he talks about our, dogmatic, our our tendency to make these uh, dogmatic, to make contempt, contemptuous judgments against one another in disputable matters, in areas where the Scripture might not be quite as clear as we thought it was. To, to judge one another by what we think or by what we say, and the junk that's going on on the inside will come out and hurt the relationship. Let's get our bearings, though, first by... Um, before we start meddling by going to the Bible. Romans 14, starting in verse 1. Now he says, accept the one who is weak in faith, "'but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions.' One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats, don't disagree in this way. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Why? Bottom line, for God has accepted him unconditionally. So, as we saw, in this context, it had to do with what they ate. That was their division. Uh, with Jewish dietary laws, with food sacrificed to idols, we saw that with the, the dietary laws, those who weren't kosher, that is, who would eat pork and all the rest, the scripture was on their side. And those who ate things sacrificed to idols probably supported the pagan temples by buying that meat. So there's a strong argument for not doing it. And yet Paul told both sides not to make an issue of it. That is, you can discuss it, but don't divide over it. Whether by what you think or by what you say. So he tees up what we're going to be talking about today. Having, you know, looked at their disputes over convictions, what about ours? Let me list a few areas, Okay. Ready or not, here it comes. And as I do this, keep one thing in mind. I have some strong feelings about some of these things myself. I've preached on some of these things myself. Um, uh, But uh, Paul is saying that we should be able to agree to disagree without it getting ugly. That's what we're talking about. Without it becoming divisive in our words or distant in our hearts from our brothers and sisters. So I'll just list them and maybe, uh, if I dare, comment on a few of them. We'll start easy. Or for most of you, it's probably easy, not for all of you. Uh, Whether you should trick-or-treat at Halloween. I've seen some pretty heated arguments over that in my last church. I've yet to see it here, though. Strong opinions here. Another one. Politics. Democrat or Republican. Republican. Let's get it a little more specific. One's view of the president. Do you love him? Do you respect his office? R-rated movies. Now, this is one that I pretty feel pretty strongly about, as some of you know. I've talked about this from the pulpit, and yet I've said this. You may have, You've probably heard me say it. If you still go to such movies, after all I've said, I guess I'll still love you. And I mean that. (laughs) Creation versus evolution. Parenting styles. Some people feel that you should let your kids just run wild in the church because this is the time when you teach them that, that Christianity can be fun and enjoyable. Others feel the church is more a sacred place that you need to respect. Parenting styles, alcoholic beverages. Being a a working mother or a stay-at-home mom. Homeschooling versus Christian schooling. Homeschooling versus public schooling. A lot of strong opinions on that abortion. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday, of course, and maybe it's not coincidental that it is today. I found out last week that um, on this very day, I heard it in no uncertain terms, that we are not all in agreement on this. first church I've been in is that way. So how do we disagree? Worship, need I say more? Worship preferences. Witness this article from the old Gazette Telegraph in Colorado Springs. I don't think it's in business anymore. It's titled, love him or leave him. And him is spelled H-Y-M-N. Should we love them or leave them? Subtitled, Discord Over Music Threatens to Split Religious Congregations. There was a time when the biggest dispute over church music was whether the pianist was playing off-key. Oh, for the days. Amen, Eric? Let's hear a large... (laughs) Today, the sound of worship has become a battleground between generations that threatens to split congregations. Indeed, it does. And then they quote Reverend Thomas Long of the Chandler School of Theology. He says, Virtually every congregation in America is experiencing some tension between traditional and contemporary forms of worship. He just completed a long Alban Institute study and uh, found that this is indeed true. Great discord over worship. I'll, still, I'll spare you more, but that kind of gives you the point. Worship preferences. Interestingly, we're going to see in chapter 15 that Paul consummates his whole discussion of unity and diversity with worship. And he says the whole point of being united in heart in the midst of our divisions is so that we can worship him with one heart. That's what he wants. He doesn't want a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. But, uh, uh, Thank goodness we don't have to deal with that until May because we're going to do a a six-week deal called 40 Days of Love where we'll break up into small groups and learn the relational principles of Jesus for six weeks, how to really love one another in our marriages and our families uh, outside the church. And that will uh, well prepare us for one of the most volatile issues in the church when we get back to Romans 15 sometime in May, when we conclude our year of the caring community with the issue of, of unity in diversity when it comes to worship. A couple more. Uh, what we did with our Christmas Eve service this year. For some, it was too noisy, too crazy. And for that very reason, for others, you know, the kids loved it. The parents really loved it. What we did at last year's Easter service. It wasn't the worship in particular. It was, it was what I preached uh, in last year's Easter service. Believe me, I'm never going to do it again in quite that way. You live and learn. I've learned a lot, and I've really benefited from all of the feedback. But I've also got a question today. If you didn't like the message, what was going on in your heart of hearts as you left the service? Was there anything remotely resembling that? Not all of you if that was the case, not for all of you, but for some of you, it was. What say, what's been going on in you, what's come out through you with this incredibly gifted servant we have over there, Eric Robertson? Yeah, we need to keep talking. And we hope you do keep talking with us, but just as much, we need to keep loving. See why I was glad that we were saved by the bell last week? Doesn't count unless you get to this degree of specificity. Say, let's uh, maybe one or two more. What the length and complexity? Of Pastor Brian's sermons. Just keep it. I've heard Pastor Meyer's sermons. What was going on in you when that was an issue? Many of you were very patient and very kind. As you expressed your preferences. And very long suffering over three or more years. uh, Until you did express them. And. um, Not all of you were. On the other side of it those of you who really liked the length and complexity of Brian's sermons, now that they've been changed, what's going on in your heart of hearts towards your brothers and sisters who you'd strongly disagree with? I've been working on keeping them short and believe me, I've been really working on keeping this one short. (laughs) And so let's quickly move on. Just one more maybe. I'll have mercy. Just one more. The... Uh, Eric will remember this one, the volume of sound at the Good Friday service, and I forgot, was that last year or the year before, Eric? Both. Both. Okay. The volume of sound at the Good Friday service a couple years back, for those of you who were there, if you didn't like it. What was going on in you when you left the service? Was there anything like that? Yes, there was for some of you. But it's not just you, it's me too. We're, we're all in the same boat. We all have literally a beast who is alive and well inside of us, who will have till Christ comes and takes the body of our flesh and will be finally done with him. Remember what we learned in chapter 13, Romans 13, the chapter just before is called the flesh. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, that's why this is a very apropos picture for our subject. In our bodies, there is a slumbering animal, which is both sudden and fierce. It can master us with almost irresistible power. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled, and soon the flesh is in flames, and soon thereafter, the whole body of Christ is in flames. Or at least it can easily happen. And I am convinced that more than anything else, this is what breaks up families. Not the issue, but the, but the beast that rages sometimes through the issue, even though you may be dead right in what you're saying. This more than anything else is what breaks up families and marriages and churches and more, and more than all else, I think, it is breaking up our nation. Or at least fueling the breakup. So are you a part of the problem or a part of the solution? At home, at church, uh, and in the world. You may have seen a letter that went out recently from the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. It's called an open letter to Colorado's elected leaders. <clears throat> Dear friends, now by that one salutation, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Dear, I like that, friends. They're going to say something, but they're going to say it in the right way. Right? Election Day 2010 has come and gone. The political ads and debates that commanded our attention are over, and those who will be leading our state and nation forward have been selected and are poised to begin their work. Our focus now turns to the future and what we as Coloradoans can do together to ensure that our state grows and prospers. In that effort, we... Dash, business leaders, labor unions, nonprofit organizations, and advocate groups, we pledge, it starts with me, right? When you're pointing the finger. We pledge to be mindful that understanding how we approach each other and our elected officials as we map the road ahead, understanding how we approach each other is as critical as the solutions we suggest and the outcomes we choose. We write today as organizations committed, it starts with us, to approaching the coming session of the Colorado General Assembly and our interaction with the 112th Congress to approach that in a thoughtful and respect-filled manner. And we urge our elected officials to commit to the same pledge. That's what we're saying today. It was signed by 59 Colorado businesses, labor unions, advocacy groups, Action 22, Associate General Contractors of Colorado, the Bell Policy Center. On it goes all the way down to the conclusion. The chamber is encouraging anyone who is interested in signing the Pledge for Civility. Anyone interested in signing the pledge for civility to visit the website, you may want to write it down. I'm going there. www.denverchamber.org. Amen. Too bad we're saying it in the world, but so many churches aren't saying it. Question, are you a part of the solution? Am I a part of the solution? Or a part of the problem. I became a part of the problem a couple of weeks ago with Julie, with my anger. And I had to ask her forgiveness. We all struggle with this. But I want to tell you something. If the church can't get it right, there is no hope for the country. If not now, when? If not here, where? And like I said last Sunday, we do get it right here. And given our diversity overall, let's keep it in context, we're doing great. That's one thing that attracted us here. In fact, it just happened again last week and what's been one of the most divisive issues among evangelicals of all time, and that is the division between charismatics and non-charismatics. We've got both here in this congregation, and just last week, that issue surfaced in our own church, and it could easily have gotten real ugly real fast, and I've seen that happen. But I'm glad to say that both sides showed unbelievable godliness and restraint, and under it all, such deep love. Amen, Eric? Amen. And while the differences still exist, there is no division. Indeed, there's a deeper union. Way to go. We do get it right here, but we dare not think that the devil couldn't divide us like that. Indeed, that's his chief agenda, which is why this message is called, United We Stand, but Divided We all. indeed i assure you he's been trying to divide us and so as i said last week this is just a word to the wise don't be ignorant of satan's schemes at home at work in congress or wherever who more than anything else wants to divide us and divide us as a church across the world he has now paul does move on and we'll do that now too thank goodness Let's get on the solution side of it. He moves on in Romans 14 from our disputes to what it is that turns our disputes into these kinds of angry fights, into these kinds of division. Let's read again in verse 2. This is one of several examples. Let not him who eats despise the one who abstains. It's all in the way we view them, all in our attitude toward them. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment as though you were God on the one who eats for bottom line god has accepted him notice that paul doesn't take a position yet on the issue of food he places the blame uh, equally on both sides he doesn't take sides even though he knew who was right as we saw last week he doesn't at all imply that these are unimportant issues. But neither does he say that they are so important that we've got to resolve them at all costs so we could all agree and live happily ever after. Ain't going to happen, especially here. At a church like ours with such diversity, no, rather his focus is on the supreme priority of learning how to agree to disagree in love, fundamental to every relationship in a fallen world. And so he doesn't say, let not him who is wrong, let him who is wrong agree with him who is right. No, he says, even if you're in the right, don't judge your brother, etc. For God, again, has accepted him, bottom line. This is God's unconditional acceptance. And it's a wonderful thing. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses in the next chapter, as we'll see in May. chapter 15, where he says that Christ accepted us in spite of the fact that we nailed him to the cross. The reproaches of those who reproached you, Father, fell on me, verse 3, but still, verse 8, Christ accepted us to the glory of God. So, why at all costs do we rise above contempt and not stoop to being judgmental? Because God's love is Unconditional. And it's unconditional because Christ satisfied the wrath of God. But, you know, if you think about it, it's almost instinctive for for consumers, as we all are in a consumer society, and even in the Christians so easily get swept away, it's almost instinctive for consumers to flip out, you know, to flip over to wrath when they don't get what they want in the church especially in the church, that is so important to us. It's understandable. It's almost instinctive for moral people... And we got to be moral these days. We need lines in the sand. We're slip-sliding away to, to Gomorrah. The church that stands for nothing will fall for anything. But it is so easy to forget about the dragon behind us as we fight the dragon in front of us. It's almost instinctive for moral people to put themselves in the judgment seat and then to flip out, to flip over to anger when a brother or sister doesn't agree with them in a very important area. Forgetting that Christ... Christ died for that brother or sister. Christ already bore all that wrath. He bore the wrath for the worst that they could possibly be or do so that now God has accepted them. He loved them when they were dead in their trespasses and sins, when by nature that brother or sister of yours was uh, a child of wrath. So how can we now reject them over issues that by comparison to all that are totally trivial? He's saying let all your concerns about them be couched uh, in God's unconditional love for them. Rather than contempt, he's saying, let there be compassion. Some of you may have read Francis Schaeffer's classic, wrote it decades ago. Of course, he's long since gone home to the Lord, called The Mark of the Christian. The mark of the Christian, he said, above everything else, is true compassion. Starting with the brethren. Compassion that comes from the heart. That's why Schaefer said that we should never end up deciding that we must strongly disagree and just leave it at that. We must never end up deciding that uh, uh, without regret and without tears because it's all in love. That is, we must never disagree without love. Here's what he said. What usually divides and severs true Christian groups, and he knew he'd been around the world church after church. What usually divides and severs true Christian groups and individuals is not the issue of doctrine or belief or practice that caused the differences in the first place. Invariably, it is the lack of love. And the bitter things that are thought and said in the midst of differences. These stick in the mind like glue. It is these things, and this applies obviously not just to the church. It's every relationship that you enjoy or don't enjoy. These stick in the mind like glue. It is these things, these unloving attitudes and words that cause such a stench that the world can smell in the church of Jesus Christ. The world looks, shrugs its shoulders, and turns away. The greatest tragedy I know is that the one of the things you say when you leave some place is, let's make like a church and split. Ever heard that? Let's blow this popsicle stand. Let's make like a church and split. Too often that's the case. Therefore, Paul says, under it all, through it all, In spite of it all, especially in this year of the caring community, accept one another, just as God has accepted you. As so many of you do, I've seen it uh, over and again since uh, since we've come here. It applies at home, at work, at church, and God help us, it better start applying in our country. It applies everywhere. And it's all summed up by one of the founding principles of the Reformation, which is the motto of our church. In essentials, remember it? Unity. In non-essentials, what? Liberty. In all things, let's hear it. Charity. Amen and amen. Well, if the ushers come forward. Our time is up. This is our benevolence offering for the month. So please give generously in true Christian charity, and let's pray together. Father, I do pray that you would make us, of all people, instruments of your peace from the inside out. Help us to hold firmly to our convictions in a world that's without truth, but equally give us the affection and the uh, compassion that makes our convictions compelling. Help it to start right here at Dillon Community Church. Thank you for how this indeed does start here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.